This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered legal advice. The transmission of information on this podcast is not intended to establish and receipt of such information does not establish or constitute an attorney-client relationship. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely upon advertisements. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Thompson Coburn LLP's Three Lawyers and a Drone podcast coming to you from Washington, D.C. My name is Sean McGowan, and I'm a partner in the firm's Federal Regulatory Practice Group and co-chair of the firm's UAS Practice Group. As always, joining me today are associates Tyler Black and Mike Deutsch. Today, we've invited professional commercial photographer Justin Barr of Justin Barr Photography and St. Louis From Above, that's STL From Above, out of St. Louis, Missouri, on today's podcast uh, so that he can discuss his company's recent Part 107 Certificate of Waiver Approval and how he goes about using drones in his commercial photography business. Justice has, uh, Justin has flown drones recreationally since late 2016 and obtained his remote pilot certificate with a small U.S. rating, small UAS rating in May 2017. Justin, welcome to the podcast and thank you for taking the time to be here today. No, thank you for having me on here. Hi, Justin. It's Mike Deutsch. Again, thank you and welcome to the program. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about your background and your commercial photography business? Sure. Uh, yeah, I started um, doing, well, I call it now ground-based photography, but, uh, you know, regular family photos, um, shot a bunch of weddings. Um, I, I shoot for a studio out, out of St. Charles, Missouri, which isn't too far from St. Louis. Um, and, you know, we... I found ourselves shooting in the same places over and over and, you know, a lot of our pictures are looking the same and I thought, you know, it'd be kind of cool to get a uh, kind of a drone perspective, um, to, you know, of, of the, of the wedding and wedding party and everything to show more of a overall kind of environment, you know, for, for wedding pictures. And, you know, you, you see the pictures of, you know, like a sprawling landscape or mountains in the background. Well, like in St. Louis, we don't have any mountains. So uh, I thought, you know, getting kind of an aerial shot of maybe downtown or wherever we might be doing the photos, um, just give a, a, you know, kind of a different aspect to wedding pictures and kind of set, our, set ourselves apart from, uh, you know, the other wedding photographers here in town. Interesting. So, so at what point did you decide that you needed a remote pilot certificate because you're flying for business purposes? Right. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I started off with, uh, actually with racing drones. Um, my wife got me a little drone for, for Christmas and I, I started getting into the, uh, the FPV style racing drones. And then, uh, you know, that's after that is when I started looking into getting into the photography and videography drones. And, uh, once I started looking into all that, I found all of the info about, you know, needing a license to, um, use a drone for commercial purposes. So I bought a Mavic Pro uh, in February of 2017, um, practiced with it for a couple months, just taking pictures and, you know, flying it around. Um, got my 107 in May, and then uh, that summer is when, you know, we started using it for, you know, wedding photography. Right. So, so you got the 107. It sounds like that's all you would need as a photographer. What made you decide that you needed an additional waiver from the FAA? Yeah, the additional waiver I got was is for the night. I started getting contacted to shoot uh, events that were happening 
in downtown St. Louis. So there's a lot of stuff that goes on, you know, after work in the evenings. And I found myself, you know, they were, they'd asked me to shoot, you know, from just before sunset. And since I'm, you know, limited to 30 minutes past civil, civil twilight, I decided to go ahead and get a night waiver because they do lights downtown and uh, they have a, a tree lighting ceremony and all that. And that always happened right at, I mean, it was almost right up, up to the cutoff of being able to fly. And, you know, I, I was able to get some cool pictures, uh, but it's still, even at civil twilight, the horizon still is glowing a little bit. So you can tell it's not really dark. I wanted to get the waiver so that I could, you know, get the nighttime shots, you know, where you don't have the horizon and the lights all glow a little bit more. It was mainly because of different events and, and you know, things that I've been uh, asked to shoot in St. Louis area. Hi, Justin. This is Tyler. Um, my wife's actually from St. Charles, so small world. Um, oh, cool. <laughs> from a process perspective, once you made the decision to get a waiver from operating rule 107.29 for the daylight um, nighttime operations, what, what was your experience with how the FAA's system works uh, functionally? It was slow. Um, it, it took a lot of revisions on the waiver. Um, and I, I, you know, they, they have a sort of a guideline that they, they publish on the UAS um, site for the FAA. And it gives you kind of points to follow and what to address as you're filling out your, your form. Um, and I, I found that, you know, if you're, if you're typing up, you know, uh, different you know, mitigations or whatever, you know, you might come across, if you just happen to mention something, um, about, you know, flying in an area that you might not be familiar with, you kind of have to backtrack and say, you know, if I'm not familiar with this area, I will scout it during the daytime, make notes of obstacles in the area. Uh, you, you really have to kind of go into detail of every aspect um, of, you know, where you might be flying or what might be going on, and then detail like a mitigation on how you would, um, you know, help alleviate any risk. So, you know, if you're unfamiliar with an area, you put up, you know, you say, oh, well, I will make notes of any wires or light poles or anything that might be a hazard. But then they'll say, how can you uh, check to make sure there aren't people on the ground in that area? Or, you know, you also have to kind of note, I will also, you know, make notes of where people may enter and exit a certain area. Because like, you know, a downtown space will have walkways that come in and out and you want to avoid those so you don't fly over the people. So there's a lot of uh, detail and then finer detail you have to get into when submitting these waivers to really cross all the T's and dot all the I's. Absolutely. Did you consider getting a waiver from any other FAA operating rules? I haven't really had a need yet. The night one was kind of the big thing. I've looked into the, the flying uh, over people waiver, and I think the only one that's been granted has been to CNN, but I know that one's almost impossible to get. And I really don't need a, a visual line of sight waiver because anywhere I fly is typically 
surrounded by buildings anyway. If I'm flying, you know, downtown, we, we have uh, Keener Plaza, which is about two or three blocks um, of, a, of an area in, in, the, in the center of downtown St. Louis. It's kind of like a big outdoor event space. And if I'm if I'm doing an event down there, I can see the entire space from you know one spot down there. So it's never really been an issue to go beyond visual line of sight. And then the only one that I kind of, it, was, it wasn't really a waiver per se, but I did, when I uh, did a shoot for the Gateway Arch um, it, in filing the airspace request, I did put in an 800 foot request just because typically when they, when they grant you or when they would grant me the waiver request for the zero grid, which most of downtown is a, is a zero AGL grid, you put in the altitude that you need. And uh, in order to get a, the client was wanting a top-down shot of the arch, which means I had to obviously fly up above the arch. But when they would grant the waiver, they would put an absolute altitude of 400 feet. And right. obviously, that's not going to get up 630 feet up. You know, the arch is tall, so I, you know, put in a request for 800 foot, and they approved it. Uh, you know, we had to discuss that I'd call ATC when. You know, I would be flying up that high, and basically, I gave them an hour, you know, from nine to ten o'clock that I would be up that high, so they were just aware. But it was that was kind of part of the airspace waiver, and you know, kind of the only time I had requested to go above the 400 foot, which, in in staying true to the to the 107 rules, technically I could go 400 feet above the arch, but since it is a real high traffic area down there, um, you know, I, I kind of limited to 800 feet because there's airplanes and helicopters that, um, you know, tend to go up and down the river there just for sightseeing, their sightseeing purposes. And, um, you know, I was fortunate to get granted uh, up to 800 feet. And I'm imagining you'll be following the rulemaking developments regarding operations over people. That one will be relevant to a lot of folks out there. Um, mm-hmm. I, if I could go back for a second to the types of risk mitigation commitments you are are having to make to the FAA in addition to kind of the daylight scout that you talked about what are some other kinds of nighttime precautions that people should expect to make or at least that you um, made regarding your operations yeah um, so one of the one of the things is having a uh, LED strobe on the drone that's visible up to three nautical miles. Um, I have a couple from, I think it's Firehouse um, LED that it's just a small little, maybe maybe the size of a postage stamp LED. It's basically a battery with the lights on it. And I just Velcro it to the top of the drone and it's, you know, three, three mile visibility on there. Other thing is having a visual observer uh, to kind of help with spotting the drone. Not that I was flying, you know, outside of my visual range, but uh, just to help with a second set of eyes, you know, because you have to be hyper-focused when you're flying at night because you have to pay more attention to, you know, trees and tree branches that, you know, might have one scraggly little branch sticking up, you know, you have to watch out for. Helping with that and also uh, to kind of help with spotting the drone in the sky. It's kind of weird. If you're looking at the stars, you know, on on a dark night and you you look at the the star and it seems to disappear while you're looking at it. But if you look away from it, it comes back. Um, 
it's, it's, it's just a something to do with the rods and cones in your eyes that you have to sort of divert your vision periodically so you can keep your focus on what you want to look at. So that's one of the things that we had to, to kind of do when, you know, flying the drone a little bit further away um, is if you, if you stare at it, your eyes tend to get a little bit tired and you sort of lose uh, clarity on it. So just knowing that you have to look at it for a minute and kind of divert your, divert your eyes and then look back and you can refocus and just having a second person there to help with that um, is, you know, a, a good backup to have. And then uh, also just, you know, help with um, the ground. Uh, we, we, where we flew from was a well-lit area, but they, they want you to, you know, make sure you can um, make sure you have a good well-lit area so you can see if there's anybody coming into or out of the area where you may be landing from. Um, but yeah, those are those are kind of the big uh, the big ones on the on the waiver that uh, you know they want you to, to comply with. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, you described the the visual illusions caused by darkness and other uh, night related um, phenomenon. It, it's interesting to hear you talk about it. My perspective um, coming at it from a, a private pilot is is always um, coloring the way that I look at those requirements. So I recall from my training, looking, kind of making a sweep in a box so that you're continuing to change your your visual focal point and you'll notice things, either stationary things like stars or things that are moving a little bit quicker. I'm wondering if there are any other... Um, aspects from an unmanned aircraft perspective, I guess, you know, viewing from the ground up that might be a part of your waiver application or interesting to note. I use the Phantom 4 Pro to fly at night and there are there is an option to turn the front heading lights on and off and, and they're just they they're just bright red lights that stay on all the time. The rear lights are green that flash and uh the red ones stay on all the time, though I turn them off for shooting because it, it sometimes can kind of throw a, a little glare across the camera. But like um, coming in or taking off, um, anytime I'm moving it around, I have the red lights on so I can help orient it. You know, having all four lights going um, plus the strobe on top really makes a huge difference in getting the bearing of the drone. Uh, just just relying on the, the flashing green ones on the back is uh, kind of weird because they don't really the, the, they don't stay lit long enough to give you a good sense if you're doing like a, a rotation around the yaw axis. You know, they'll flash and then all, you know, the, as you're turning the drone and the next time they flash, it could be, you know, 90 degrees turned and you're not sure, you know, which way you're facing. So having the, uh, the extra red lights on there too makes a huge difference. That makes sense. Do you have to do any sort of documented training with your visual observer to to show that, um, you know, they know these requirements that are in your waiver application? How do you handle that aspect? Well, the waiver application says that, you know, any visual observer that will be involved, you know, needs to do the training. I didn't come across anything that said you have to, you know, have official documentation submitted to the FAA or anything on they completed the training. But when we did uh, the the big project with the arch, I had to submit a um, gosh, eight or nine page flight 
safety procedure. And one of the things in there was, um, you know, it had that the visual observers that were helping with the night flights would, uh, you know, do the online trainings and, you know, be able to assist properly after having the training. We didn't do a whole lot of night flying, um, but the the person that helped me, she did do the training online and, um, you know, was, was there to assist uh, with, you know, being the visual observer for the night flying. There's several documents through the FAA that, that um, are available for, you know, what to look for. And, it, you know, it tells you about fatigue that you can get, you know, when you're looking at things, how you have to kind of sweep the sky or, or you know, divert your tension sort of, not attention, but, you know, look look away from the drone periodically to uh, to keep your eyes from getting too tired. And uh, it was mainly, you know, things like that that uh, they need to be aware of and um, more or less trained on to, you know, be able to properly assist for a night flight. Hey, Justin, it's Sean again. Um, I'm just, I have a couple of questions because I'm curious about the documentation. Um, you know, we noticed a bunch of other provisos in the certificate of waiver. You just went uh, over the nighttime flying and everything that you're doing and thinking about flying, which obviously seems a lot more difficult night flying than daytime flying. One of the provisos was the site must be fully illuminated or the site assessment must be done in daylight before the flight. Can you uh, tell people just a little bit about, like, what, what's in your flight bag when you go out to a project? What kind of documents do you have on you just in case somebody kind of, you know, law, law enforcement or somebody comes up and challenges your right to be there? What, what, what do you suggest having on you when you go out and do a commercial job like, like you're talking about? Sure. Uh, yeah, I always have my... Uh, official, you know, the, the FAA 107 card on me. Um, I also have my uh, renewal document. Um, you know, when, when you go back for the refresher after two years, I got, you know, they give you a sheet that's notarized and everything, and it says, you know, please keep this on you at all times. So um, I have that on me, and then I also had my uh, night waiver document. I keep that, just, I just keep that in my in my case all the time. Um, but then, like for the for the job with the arch, you know, I had the the safety plan and different documents from the arch saying that you know we were cleared to do all this and and of course you know the, in in dealing with a big project like that, you know, they notified the um, the the park rangers and and um, you know other security that was down there and you know even even sent a, a note to the St. Louis Police Department that you know they're going to be a drone in the area, you know, because there's hotels down there and whatnot, just, just in case, you know, there was any calls, you know, how people can get when there's a drone in the area. Um, sure. So I, I had all my documents on me and then we also, um, you know, made sure that the, the local authorities uh, knew what we were going to be doing that night as well. Right. And, and would that include something like the before you fly kind of printout or something like that? Well, yeah, I mean, anything that, uh, you know, has to do with the flight um even if it's not for a big project like that if i request any type of airspace waiver through the website i always get like a pdf back from the faa that just uh, you know says you know this has been approved and and uh, i'll print those out keep those on me um if i do one of the lance requests through the air map app um it, it comes back as a it, it's like sends back a text message that gives you a white code i guess that 
is is what you know the reference code that the FAA would use. And I mean that that comes back to my phone, so I keep that on me, you know, when I'm flying as well, just in case anything comes up. Fortunately, the uh, the, the police department in St. Louis has has been really great and and very receptive for uh, drone use in in the downtown area. Um, I know in places like New York, uh, I've heard of you know people being stopped and and you know almost detained for flying drones down there, which I get because it's a huge safety risk. But in St. Louis, they've they've been really good. Um, I've, I've flown for a lot of events and parades and, and whatnot. And uh, you know, if I if I take off, you know, away from the crowds, if there's a police officer nearby, you know, I always let them know, hey, I'm flying for this event, and you know, they're usually okay with it. I, I haven't had any problems where they've told me not to. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, keeping the the proper documents on you at all times, just in case anyone were to ask, uh, is always a good idea. Yeah, I was going to ask you if anybody approached you and like challenged your authority, but it sounds like you've done a good job of communicating your intentions ahead of time, so that really hasn't been an issue for you so far. So that that's good to know. Just wondering back, like when Tyler was talking about the waiver application process, is there anything like any pitfalls that occurred that you know maybe somebody listening? I, you know, might benefit from hearing you, like something that that happened to you that uh, you wish you knew ahead of time, or anything like that. The, the hardest part was just kind of finding out what, or, or I guess figuring out what the FAA wanted to see in the waiver request. Like I said, I, I had it uh, denied several times because it always said, you know, lack of um, lack of mitigation detail. Uh, and like what I said before, where like if you mention something about an unknown area, they're going to come back and say, you know, well, how are you going to know if people are coming into the area? And it's, you know, it's stuff that kind of a, a, a common sense, I would do that, but you really just have to put it on the paper. You know, you can't just assume, and they're not going to assume that anybody knows to do that. Um, they want to see it actually written out on the paper. So it's like, right. you know, uh, if, if you're going to put something down, you also got to, you know, just, make sure you have every avenue of failure addressed, you know, or, or risk addressed um, and how you would kind of get around that. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of the main thing is just making sure that uh, you follow the, their guidelines for submitting the waiver and really address all of the, all of the safety issues. How long was the entire waiver process from start to finish? Each time I submitted it, I would say it was probably, I think it was about maybe two to three weeks before I heard back on it. We had started the process because uh, I got the nighttime waiver to, to work with this this arch project, and uh, it was the main was the main driving factor. And, and you know when I submitted it, and we started on that in uh, January of this year, January of 2019, and uh, it was kind of around and around you know, with the FAA on, on sending the waiver in and getting it denied. And each time I would call them and, and find out, you know, what part of this was, what, you know, needs to be addressed because you'd always get, I would always get back kind of a generic uh, letter that said, you know, not enough risk mitigation. It never really went into detail that, you know, would say, oh, well, you didn't say this or you need to address this. They kind of let you figure it out. But then at the same time, it's it's one of those deals where if you don't know 
what question to ask. It, on one hand, I followed the guidelines. I, I, you know, answered all the questions I thought, but then, you know, they had a couple other things that they wanted addressed that I wasn't quite aware of. So, um, it's, it's kind of a, it is kind of a, a, a back and forth process, but, you know, you just have to make sure that, uh, everything that you might encounter, it, you know, would, would be, would be covered. Right, and from from your waiver, it looks like it was approved on April twelfth. So, three months in in federal government world that that seems fairly reasonable, um, but I know maybe not as fast as we'd like it. It was approved in April, but our original date for filming was um, I think the middle of May. So, uh, when we started in January, and I had to you know send over several revisions. Once it got to April, I was kind of starting to sweat a little bit because <laughs> we were getting so close to the timeline, but. Um, fortunately, well, not fortunately, but, uh, everything, everything was delayed several months because of all the river flooding that happened over the summer. So, you know, that was approved, but then we were able to, um, you know, had a little bit of extra time to get everything, uh, put through because, you know, one request was depending, you know, some of the flight, um, uh, airspace requests and whatnot were, were requesting for night flying, but I didn't have my waiver yet. So, it was we had to get the waiver first before we could put in a, a request for airspace flight at night. So it, it, everything else was kind of hinged on getting that night waiver. It hmm. went through relatively quickly, but um, given our our timeline, it, we were kind of getting down to the wire on it. Uh, yeah, Justin, it's Mikey, and a few things real quick. How do you ensure your drone and drone operation to protect you from an accident or a flyaway situation? You know, we hear that more and more insurers are getting into this area, and we're curious to know about how you protect yourself and your business. Before I started with the drones, I had um, uh, insurance policy for, you know, commercial photography, and it was just the standard, uh, you know, liability insurance. I think I had a, a $1 million policy on that because it was all just standard photography. You know, if a, if a light fell over or a flash fell over on somebody, you know, it covered any medical expenses that might come up. Um with the drones, obviously, uh, flying you know overhead, you have more chance of more damage happening, uh, whether it comes down on a car or falls on somebody. I do have uh, a two million two million dollar policy for um, you know liability for any uh, mishaps that may happen you know while flying. Um, as far as preventing flyaways, uh, you know just standard you know normal procedures in place for that um obviously make sure gps is you know working properly you, you get your home point set before you take off uh should a flyaway happen um you, you know uh, normal normal steps are you know call local police department let them know what direction it's heading um you know if, if you're in the airspace uh you know call the atc tower and, and let them know what's going on and um you know do do your best to contact all the local authorities, let them know that, you know, something is, has taken off from you and you can't recover control of it. But, you know, if anything should have happened, you know, uh, ends up crashing into a car or a building, you know, that's where the insurance policy will, will have me covered and, you know, uh, cover any damages that might incur from that. Uh, just to clarify, is your policy, is it a flight-by-flight -flight basis? Or is it more of a blanket coverage for flights during a specific period, or does it cover all flights? It covers all flights. Um, I, mine is all state insurance. I've got all the info at home in my drone case, but uh, it, it's a, it, it is a, like a blanket policy that it's, you know, covers all flights, um, you know, in all 50 states. 
before before I had this this insurance policy, the one I had previous um, was just for Missouri, and I had got contacted to do a a, a multi-site job up in Chicago. And uh, since my insurance didn't cover Illinois, I had to use uh, Verify while I was up there on a on a point by point uh, or flight by flight basis. So that you know, each time I flew, it was anywhere from like fifteen to forty dollars per flight just for insurance coverage. Oh wow! Okay, interesting. Um, now, have you flown projects for people, and are you or are you capable and authorized to fly for people, like businesses or, or companies, or what do you mean by people? Yeah, that, that's that's exactly what I meant. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So you know, for for the Arch project, I, I you know they I was hired by. Um, you know, the it was a creative company that was doing the advertisements for the art, just like I would be any other photographer. You know, that they would hire to take pictures and um, and video for for events or or whatnot. Um, so, yeah, it's it's kind of just uh, I mean, it's it's a you know a flying camera. So just to get uh, some aerial photography shots, you know, they'll they'll bring me in to do um, to do those uh, for them. Interesting. Well. It sounds great. Now, Justin, if, if people want to look at you, your work, or engage you for a project, how can they get in touch with you? Uh, our website is stlfromabove.com and uh, stlfromabove on Instagram and Facebook. Um, usually the, the easiest way, uh, you know, message me on there or, or uh, there's a contact um, contact me page on my website if they wanted to send anything, anything over. I get a lot of um, messages from people even that are looking into, you know, buying a drone for their kids or they want to, you know, get a drone to, to fly just for themselves. And, you know, I'm always more than happy to, to answer questions just to, you know, make sure everybody's uh, starting off on the on the right foot and following the rules and everything. Yeah, and Justin, it's Sean again. I've, I've been on your website and I've seen those photos and they are, they are amazing. So I encourage everyone to check them out if they get the chance. Um, any other questions or comments, Mike, Tyler, Justin, before we sign off here? No, thanks for joining us, Justin. Yeah, thank you, Justin. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And as always, if any of you have questions, please feel free to contact us through our Thompson Coburn LLP website or by direct messaging the TC Drone Twitter page, which is at TC Drone Law. Thanks again, everyone. Appreciate it.